podcast. I'm Matt Singer, joined every week by George Abinoff. We'll start how we always start. George, how are we doing today? Um, doing pretty well. Calm Thursday in Boston. Weather's been getting nicer, so not a lot to complain about over here. I didn't watch the Europa League game today for Manchester United, but I wanted to know how they're doing right now as we're recording. Um, it was a pretty dull 0-0 unless they scored a 90th minute goal, which I don't think they did because I left the game in the 89th minute. But... Hey, through to the next round no matter what. Yeah, not bad for a little small club, right? Small little club for Manchester. Not too bad, not too bad. Well, we got a busy, packed week. Obviously, we were not here last week. I was feeling a little bit under the weather. My throat was bothering me, so I decided to spare everyone and not do a little Michael Jordan flu game. But I guess we can start and do a little Europa League recap. Tim Way lost today. Brandon Aronson's out. Chris Richards is out. The only guy left is Jordan Sebeciu, dual national, Cameroonian, French and American, two U21 caps for France back in 2014, born in Washington, D.C., scored again today for the young boys and put them through against Bayern Leverkusen. Kind of an underwhelming run through for the Americans in the Europa League, but how are you feeling about that? I think obviously a lot of these guys aren't necessarily established figures on their teams. And for the most part, if you look at who's been playing, it's Brendan Aronson coming into a new team. It's Tim Weah starting, getting a run of games really for the first time all season. So it's bound to happen. Chris Richards as well. He's a young defender coming into a new team. So Europa League, I'm not too concerned about it. I just want them to get more experience. Hopefully they can do well in the league, especially you look at Chris Richards in the Bundesliga. If he can get consistent Bundesliga minutes, then I think who knows where he'll be in the fall. Maybe that's Bayern Munich finally deciding we're going to give him consistent playing time. Or maybe it's Hoffenheim saying, hey, we want to keep you. We want to make you the pull of our back line, and we want you to be our guy. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I think it was really unfortunate for Hoffenheim that, like, they really shouldn't have lost to Mold. And I don't know. It's just really underwhelming. And even even for Leo, like, the best team in France to lose to Ajax, obviously Ajax is a great club in their own right. But I don't know. I just feel bad. I feel like you should have had at least one guy going through besides Sebetschu. Like, I feel like, I don't know. I'm not underwhelmed for the players per se i think tim way had a great game today and i'm glad to see him starting i think chris richards was good brent aronson was fine but like i, I wish we could have seen one guy go through you know yeah it's it, it's disappointing because it's like okay surely all of you guys can't lose and then meanwhile you have jordan sebachu who's like the one person probably the majority of u.s soccer fans aren't too familiar with just casually scoring against leverkusen you know both both legs so it's pretty interesting but hey Hopefully Jordan can keep it rocking for us Americans in the competition. Yeah, dude. I mean, I think it's pretty cool to say that he's the second leading scorer amongst all American eligible players against Bundesliga teams. That's a long sentence of saying. Matthew Hoff has five goals. Josh Sargent has two. Jordan Svetro has three. All against Bayern Leverkusen. So make of that what you will. But I think at the end of the day, like, we always talk about the striker position. It's one of those things where, you know, we have a lot of guys who are fine and young guys, prospects, and... Not any of them have stood out to say, like, I am a goal scorer. Like, I am the guy. I'm not saying Jordan Svechu is the guy, but he's proven to be a goal scorer. And I think if he's willing to accept the call-up come March, maybe that's something we see. And I think that's someone you, you want to consider. Yeah, you always want players who can score goals. I bet somewhere Hodge Wright is punching the air. He can have played in the Europa League because he's been scoring goals in bunches. And he probably might not get a call-up in March. But if Jordan Svechu can finally kind of pull away from that France dream because it does seem like that's the one he's been holding on for when he was in the French league, when he was in the second division, he was scoring goals. Maybe he thought he could work his way up. Didn't quite work out for him. So hopefully he's finally ready to play for the USA. 
Yeah, I can say for myself, I do know that he has gotten uh, some approaches from U.S. soccer during the Dave Sarakan era, and I think he did turn those down for the same reason you just alluded to. But I think they've been in contact with him since then. I think it's one of those things where it's like, okay, if you're going to perform well enough, because inherently just playing in the Swiss League, like, it's nice, but it's not enough to say, okay, we're going to bring you in. So I think it's like, okay, if you're going to go on this loan, like, do very well what she's doing. And now that he's doing well, like, maybe the time is right for it to happen. And he is on loan with Rennes, who's a pretty good team in France. So maybe he eventually works his way back into that squad. And like you mentioned, he was really good in the league too. He led Stade Reims all the way up to the first division. Wasn't with them for their first division season. They was sold for $10 million. But 10 million rate at one point, like that's a pretty quality option. I think he's someone that we got to think about and we'll see what the future holds for him. And, you know, I love the dual nationals. So he's someone I'm definitely keeping an eye on, but we can wrap up the Europa League talk there. I think an important thing to do is obviously last week we missed the Jordan Morris injury. So hopefully Jordan, we wish you a speedy recovery, but you know, there was a lot of movement in the December transfer window. And now we're almost two months past that. I think it's important that we kind of look back at it and say like, whose stock is up? Whose stock maybe hasn't changed that much and has anything really been learned? So I think I'll give you the floor. Do you want, do you want to pick a guy to say like I, that guy has really improved or I haven't seen much from this guy who's standing out to you? I guess I'll go with Mark McKenzie. It is, it is his birthday today. So happy birthday, Mark McKenzie. And I know we talk about him a lot, but I think just him being a leader is so important. That has been such a big part of his career at such a young age. And I think the trust he's been shown in the Belgian league right away is so important. So I know there's been a lot of transfers. We're still waiting for a lot of guys to kick on, but he's kind of the one that I just love how a young American can go into a team and immediately just kind of take leadership at well, 21 now just t- turning 22 years old. So I can't wait to see what he does. I, I, I'm a, I'm a Mark McKenzie stand. What can I say? Yeah, no, I think Mark's been pretty good. He had a couple, actually, I think he had a rough game maybe two weeks ago for again. And, you know, I think that's part of the experience, but it is something to be said that he's been kind of thrown into the fire and maybe there's going to be times where he touches the fire and says, Oh, I'm burnt a little bit. But I think at the end of the day, he's out there and he's playing. And I think like, that speaks well of him as a player. I do want to touch on another center back, and I think we can talk about this maybe for an extended conversation here, but Chris Richards, man, and we talked about it a little bit with Jake and Rohan, but Chris Richards, man, I guess he's he's saying, hey, man, I'm I'm a big dog. I'm a Bundesliga-caliber starter, so I think do we, do we all of a sudden, I'm not, for me personally, willing to say uh, Chris Richards is the starter next to John Brooks, but I think, like, you got to say his progress is really encouraging, right? Yeah, I think it's a very important thing for Chris Richards to be getting minutes for a first team in the Bundesliga because we saw him kill it in the third division, and then we barely saw him really play for Bayern. He played good games at left back and right back in the Champions League, but that's not really his position. So the question was whether he could jump into a Bundesliga situation and kind of show off for himself. And for the most part, he's done that at Hoffenheim. Like we said, they're out of the Europa League, so they're going to focus on the – German Bundesliga so hopefully we'll see him be a key part of the rest of their season and I think that's important you show that you can play in the league we're not necessarily asking him to be the best center back in the league but if he can kind of show decently for himself where he doesn't look like he's a weak link that's going to do so well for him for his career and depending on how he does that's going to show what kind of role he has at Bayern in the fall or like I said 
whether or not Hoffenheim maybe takes a chance on him and says, we want to keep you permanently. Either one of those outcomes is a pretty solid outcome. And I think the bottom line is like now we're seeing him play and there's kind of nerves we saw at the beginning with Bayern where he looked fine, but he looked like a nervous kid. I think we're starting to see him, you know, play those bastards to break lines and do those things that you see a center back go from a young, talented center back to a young center back who's actually shown something. So I think that's a development I'm really encouraged by. I think his passing definitely stands out. But I'm curious for you, like, they're playing a back three, right? He plays kind of the left center back. Translate for me how that would kind of work with the national team. Obviously, we have our starting left center back in our uh, 4-3-3 being John Brooks. But if he's playing as the left center back in a back three, is it a pretty easy translation to being the right center back? Actually, we talked about this a little bit um, when we were with uh, Rohan and Jake. If we are so concerned with where players play for their club teams and the national team, we wouldn't have any sleep. Because like I said, we'd have Pulisic playing as a wingback, Jordan Morris playing as a striker. We'd have players all over the place. So I'm not concerned that he's playing left center back. As long as he's on the field, he's a good enough player where, let's just say, he puts in a full season for whatever reason. He stays at Hoffenheim. He puts in a full season as the left center back in a back three. I don't think that negates him from playing right center back in a back four because he's been playing games where he gets that confidence where you shift him over, he's going to do the job. So I'm not really concerned about where he's playing as long as he's playing. And obviously it's not outside back. It's still a center back role. So for that, that doesn't really concern me playing him as a left center back in a back three. So just for someone who like doesn't have any idea, right? That like, I don't understand what you're talking about. You're saying there's three in the back. There's four in the back. There's not that much of a difference, right? If you're playing back three or back four in terms of the inherent roles of the center back, like it's a pretty easy switch. Yeah, there's obviously little tactical differences, but it's defense at the same time. And it's not a left back where he's expected to get forward a little bit for the most part, unless you're playing with Chris Wilder, Sheffield, and you're having overlapping center backs. He's a center back and his roles are the same. Stay back, break lines with passing, be compact. So it's very similar. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Let's run through some of the other guys who made some moves. Obviously, we touched on Jordan Morris, but his fellow Swansea mate, Paul Ariola, hasn't quite got it going yet for Swansea. Obviously, now that Morris is out, maybe that opens up playing time for him. I'm not sure we can really make a judgment whether his stock is up or stock is down. I think it's just kind of one of those things where you want to hold for now. You don't know. Are you, are you fine with that judgment? Yeah, I think the thing is that the championship is such a grueling season. It's 46 games. And as they come to the thick of things, they're either going to need energy off the bench to score or are going to need energy off the bench to keep a lead. And that is exactly what Paul Ariola gives. And that in itself could lead to a starting role. Right now, their right wing back is one of their most consistent players. So maybe it's going to be harder for him to break into the team. But I think he just has such an infectious energy that's going to be hard to keep him off the field. Yeah, no, I agree. I did feel bad. I don't know if you saw this, but there was a picture of Paul Ariola's family, and they were all with their jerseys looking at the TV, and he didn't come in the game. <laughs> it just felt so bad. I was like, well, I, I appreciate yeah, Like, Grandpa Ariola, Mom Ariola, Grandma Ariola. I was like, dang, Ariola. Yeah, I was like, all right, like, I respect the support, and I'm sure the Swansea, like, club is very happy they could have those jerseys be purchased and shipped all the way out to California, but I was like, well, he didn't even play in the game. Like, I just feel so terrible, so I do hope he gets a run out sooner rather than later, but other championship news, Daryl DK gets his first goal. He's been, you know, he's like the perfect, like, I'm just going to be a beast. He's winning headers, and the guys are putting the, the elbow into his back, and his job is really get it up to Daryl, he'll head it to you, and then run. So is, is that a good thing for his development, you think? 
Yeah, I think the thing with Daryl DK is that, and one thing that works for him, and we kind of talk about it with Josh Sargent a little bit, whereas Josh Sargent's somebody who came up with the youth teams, has been in the system for a long time, so he kind of has that expectation. There's literally zero expectations with Daryl DK. This is a guy who last year, not a lot of people knew how to break out here in college soccer, and then now he's playing the championship. So if Daryl DK went the entire season without scoring, nobody would have been disappointed. Nobody would be saying, oh, man, Daryl DK, he's overrated, this and that. He's like just such a breath of fresh air, a guy who didn't play in the DA system, a guy who wasn't getting national team calls, played high school soccer in Oklahoma. So he's just such a breath of fresh air in U.S. soccer. And I think now the question is, how many more of those is it going to take for a team to take a chance on that massive transfer value that he has? If, if he scores five goals in the championship to end the season, why not? Or is the more becomes a true possibility? No, it's a, it's a fair question. I think, like, I've, I've watched a fair amount of his games, and, like, you watch him with Barnsley. I didn't watch much with Barnsley before he got there. But, like, team-wise, they've improved tremendously. And I think, I don't know how it works in a higher division, but I think, like, the style of having a guy like that up top to where it's like, you know, worst-case scenario, the ball is in our third. Just send it up to Daryl. You know, like, he'll hold it up for a second. Like, he can, he can make it happen for a team like that who – when it gets scrappy, when the fields are terrible, like, he can get stuck in. He, he can play, like, a real man's game. And I think, like, that's the kind of player he is. And I think we'll see technically if there's any developments in that respect. But I think, like, it's not a bad start at all for a guy, like you said, who played college soccer, spent a little bit of time in the USL over the summer. And, I mean, I'm curious also, like, do you, do you know anyone who played with him at Virginia or played against him? What, what were the thoughts about him? Actually, I know um one of my good friends, Nick Malvezzi, he's a – He's a goalkeeper. He played against him in USL too, and Daryl DK scored a hat trick on him. So he he he's had Daryl DK in his nightmares for two three years now, and hopefully he's gonna, you know, have something in common some Premier League goalkeeper soon. So I I knew Daryl DK back then when he's like, dude, this guy he's like two hundred pounds. He scored a hat trick on me. He scored like two minutes of the game. I was like, dang, that's crazy. And now look at where he is. Dang, that's crazy indeed. Yeah, I think we're going to – I want to start this nickname for him. So there was this player who played on the Chiefs in, like, the 70s and the 80s. His name was Christian Okoye. He was a running back, and he was, like, known for being incredibly physical. And so his nickname was the Nigerian Nightmare. And so I think we could start the nickname for, you no, know, maybe, like, Nigerian-American Nightmare because Daryl DK is Nigerian, you know? So what do you think about this? I think – if we give him that nickname, he might he might mess around and go choose Nigeria. He's still not captied, so yeah, maybe let, 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 let's captie him first, and then we can give him that nickname. All right, but you you, you support it in, in theory. It's not a bad nickname. Yes, in, in theory, I, I love it. Let's run through some other stocks. Brendan Aronson, Salzburg. He's been pretty good, I think. Brian Reynolds, maybe, hasn't was not registered for the Europa League and hasn't made his debut for Roma. So that's kind of a weird one. I think we all knew that he's kind of a project player, and we'll see what happens with him long term like it's gonna be one of those things where obviously they paid the money up front eight and a half million to rise to 11 but it's like okay we got to develop this guy defensively so let's give that some time before making a judgment but let's go back to Brandon Aronson he's been doing well right yeah I think like we said we're probably gonna see him get more goals and assists than he did at Philadelphia at least I would hope so because he's playing for significantly the best team in the league where they are going to be dominating possession every single game they're going to be creating numerous chances every single game. He probably should have had an assist in their last game. I think it was Pat Sendaka who didn't score a chance. So he, he's going to get those chances. And it's for me and for everyone else, this is a stepping stone. We all want it to be a stepping stone. 
uh, Salzburg has a track record of pushing players along. So we just want to see him do well, score goals, get assists, and then within a season or two, move on. But it's good to be see a player like that go into Europe and get trust of a manager, and not just a manager, but an American one as well, who also might be seeing a new club soon. Yeah, no, definitely pretty cool indeed. And how about that shot against Austria Wien where he was in the box and it was like a curler that he just put right into the opposite corner against our boy Eric Palmer Brown. Shout out Eric, obviously thigh injury, so I hope he's getting better and hope his recovery does go well. But it was nice to see Brian Aronson score that goal. That was that was a beauty. Yeah, yeah, I think like I said, I'm I'm excited. I think the Austrian Bundesliga, if you have a player you support, is one of the most fun leagues to watch because there's lots of goals. There's a big disparity a lot of times between teams. So it's exciting to watch. Even you look at Taylor Booth, who's come in and got two assists in his first two games, a player who didn't really even play for the Bayern second team and has mostly been playing U19, comes to a professional league and is out here getting assists. So I think it's truly a fun league to watch, and it's exciting that more Americans are going there. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Taylor Booth, good shout-out on that one. I forgot to have him on our original list, but he's been very good, so I think he's someone to keep an eye on for U.S. soccer fans, and I think, you know, that's that's definitely something to keep in mind. I'm curious also, we could talk about kind of a not-so-good situation, maybe stock down. Uli Lainez, we had him on the pod, great kid. Obviously had some, I don't want to say it's trouble, but he, whatever happened, you know, he, he decided to go home. Here and Veen said, you know, we don't want you to come back. It is what it is. I wouldn't say it was a successful loan for him back with Wolfsburg, but he's not going to be playing with that first team, I'm guessing. Stock down is one of those things where it's like, let's not make a judgment right now. Let's wait and see. What are your thoughts right now? I'm, I'm waiting to see. He is 19 years old at the end of the day. Obviously, we want our players to be doing well, and I'm sure he wishes the season could have gone well, especially when we talked to him earlier. But he is so young. He's at an age where – he could have two or three down seasons, and he'll be fine. You look at Bruno Fernandez; he was lighting the world light at 19, 20 years old, and now he's one of the best players in the world. So I'm not too concerned with Uli. I know he'll get his footing very soon enough, and he is in the Olympic uh, provisional squad, so maybe that's his chance to show people, hey, I'm not done yet. Just because I haven't necessarily played club ball doesn't mean that you know I'm not fit. I'm not ready to go out, guys, and do my thing. Yeah, no, I think it's just tough when you think about, like, trying to gauge interest. And he had a good opportunity with Jürgen to, you know, kind of boost his stock. And you look at the options for a young player to go into, like, a top five, top seven league and get that opportunity. And he didn't necessarily make the best of it. Obviously, there's other circumstances we don't need to get into. And, like, that is what it is. I'm not trying to blame him for that, like, per se. But it's one of those things where it's, like, You'd want to see him do well there to possibly get back into the Wolfsburg team. And I think, like, obviously, age-wise, he still has time, but it's definitely not a step forward. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So I think this is just one of those things where we'll have to we'll have to see what happens because, obviously, the player's not happy about it. But I know he'll be back on his feet soon. Yeah, so I think you mentioned that, that Olympic roster, and I think we can definitely run through that roster. I think... I guess the best way to do it is to give everyone's names and then we can make our judgments. It's going to be a long list. So there are that, that players. Is, I, I, I don't, maybe, maybe we don't give all the names. We just, we just give our, give our, our takes. It, right. is, it is a long list. So, so if you want to look at the list, just search uh, USMNT provisional roster. There are 50 names. I don't want to read 50 names. Y'all don't want to hear me read 50 names. So I'm going to go first and tell you the thing I think is very interesting. And then, you can pick one, and we'll go back and forth. How about that? So we'll start here. Big highlight, of course, I think, is the number one highlight. Efrain Alvarez. 
listed on our roster, and he's listed on Mexico's roster. So he can play with Mexico, right? And he actually won't be cap-tied with them because it's not a senior tournament. So maybe he stays with them. But if he were to play with us, he would have to file that one-time switch. And I think if he would have notified his old federation being Mexico, we would have known by now. We would have found out from the U.S. So that clearly hasn't happened. was not in the recent January camp. It wasn't the December camp. But Efrain Alvarez, maybe? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think he's still maybe a little too young. I know right now Mexico's like, as uh, the cool kids now they say that Mexico's kind of down bad. Their federation doesn't have as much as young up and coming players as the U.S. does. So you've seen guys who are dual nationals kind of pique their interest more in the U.S. as opposed to Mexico right now. So I don't know if he's necessarily going to make the decision for the Olympics. And if he kind of doesn't want to leave Mexico on, then maybe he doesn't play for anyone. But if he just really wants to play in Olympic qualifying, then he'll probably play for Mexico. I think he probably could get on that squad as far as I'm concerned. So I think it would really be a surprise for me if he does uh, make the switch to USA to play in the Olympic qualifying. I think he would even make the roster. Yeah, I, I think he has a chance to make the roster. But I think, like you talk about down bad for Mexico, at the end of the day, like, the amount of American youth prospects is a much longer list compared to Mexico. And certainly he has the talent to break in with the American team and fight for a spot. But at the senior level, like it's much easier for him to have that progression initially with the Mexican team. And if he's good enough at the end of the day, if he becomes the world-class talent people think he could be, then it would be good enough for the United States eventually. But it's kind of hard for me to tell another player, hey, man, you know, I understand you have potential. I understand... Mexico probably has the better immediate option. But, you know, I think you should come play for the U.S. because, you know, like, we're better. So come play with us. And I'm not saying we're better right now. But one of those things where it's like, okay, how do you how do you juggle that? And I just think it's 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 hard for him to make that decision now. So I think it's kind of like a, okay, kudos, we'll give you this call. So you know that, of course, we're going to call you and if you want to be called in. But it's his choice. We don't know yet. we got to give him the time to figure that out. And... I don't think we're going to get the answer. Even if he plays for Mexico, we're not going to get the answer. So let's just say, you know what? Let's pause that one. Let's wait for that one. Let's just say whatever decision he makes will be the best for him. And we'll support him either way. Obviously, we have our preference. But what's best for the player is what's best for the player. Give me another guy. What are you looking at and say, hey, that's interesting? Um, I guess if we're sticking to dual nationals, Ayakunola, not on our list or Canada's list. It's down to health issues. That's what Jason Christ said. And even Toronto FC said he wasn't quite ready to train yet. So that's another dual national battle. I guess we'll have to wait to see the end of. He's probably a guy who would have been in the USA team after his breakout season last year. So just another one we're going to have to wait longer on and just keep an eye on. And I don't think he's even participating in the Toronto FC preseason. So whatever he's dealing with, like, get healthy. And that's the most important thing. But I do think it's weird that it's a provisional roster. Like, it's not saying that these are the 50 guys are bringing with us. Like we can only take even less than 50, obviously. I think it's like 18 guys in total, something like that. Very small number, right? So yeah, it's 18 for the, I think it's 20 for the qualifying, 18 for the final roster. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what his health situation is, but you'd want to just put him on there to say, Hey, like maybe. Um, so, I mean, I think that's definitely one thing where you're like, all right, well, I'm not sure what's going on there. I don't think really anyone has any idea what's going on there, but I guess also interesting for me is you see Johnny Cardoso, a.k.a. Jao Lucas, Jao De Souza. 
I don't know how to say that one, but I'm going to go with Johnny Cardoso. And I don't know if he gets released, but I think, to me, he's he's a big player. You want to see him play, do well there. Yeah. I actually do think, um, I believe it was Jason Christ who said that Internacional value their players playing in big competitions for the national team. So he wouldn't be put on the roster. They didn't think he would be released because we did see guys like Mark McKenzie, for example, who weren't there, who they were like, okay, probably is not going to get released. So I think that that is a pretty telling sign that we could have Johnny Cardoso. And I find that very interesting because with 20 roster spots, space is at a premium for certain positions. So I think right now, if you look at the number six position, I'd say Jackson Yule's probably the most trusted guy. But then now you have Johnny Cardoso, who's a big get for U.S. soccer. And then you have Andres Perea, who just got cap-tied from Colombia. So you have these three guys who all play similar positions and one space at a premium. You can't really take all three. So it'll be interesting to see if all three do go or how kind of that balance happens between the three of them. Yeah, no, I think we talked about it in our last podcast, maybe the one before that, talking about the number six position and how, like, even at the senior level behind Tyler Adams, you don't know who the backup will be. And I think when it comes to this team, you don't know who the starter will be and you don't know who the backup to that starter will be either. So I think it's like the same names for the senior team behind Tyler Adams and then for the E23s as a starter. But I think that'll be very telling for who starts for this team is who are the important guys for the national team. And I wonder... You know, is, is it Andres Perea, who we'd want to see at the U23s? He's going to get called up to the senior team and say, you know what, like, we're going to give you the backup spots, Tyler Adams, for now, and let these guys do it here, or something like that. Like, I, I don't know. So I think that's something definitely to consider, and we'll see what happens there. I guess Uli also made the lineup, so that's definitely something that's going to be good for him. Frankie Amaya, I like that one. Uh, Marco Farfan. What else is that to you? There's a lot of interesting battles, I think. Not necessarily guys that are surprising to us but the goalie battle is very open i think the three right now are matt freeze david ochoa and jt marcinkowski marcinkowski is the only one that's consistently been an mls starter after he got that role for san jose earthquakes late in the season so maybe he's a starter but if this qualifying happened last year ochoa i think would have probably been the starter because all three of them weren't really getting consistent minutes in mls but ochoa was getting consistent minutes in usl and then i look at the center backs and I think Miles Robinson, Justin Glad, Ruba Keita, Henry Kessler, so many guys in the mix who's going to kind of, you know, push themselves. Mauricio Pineda as well. So Austin I kind of Trusty. just look at certain battles. Austin Trusty on the list. Austin Trusty. Hey, 50 guys have to get called up. Yeah, so that's true. Yeah, the center back position. Yeah, it's kind of weird because it's a lot of the guys who we saw part of that joint U23 camp with the senior team last month, two months ago, I guess it was now. But it's like also infused with the young guys who have the effort, like a Caden Clark, who people are crying about not getting called up for that camp. So I think it's a mixture of both because there's still a little bit of time to figure out who's actually going to make this roster. And so I think we will see eventually who stands out. But I'm happy to see Cade Cowell, Conor De La Fuente. I like that one as well. No Eric Palmer Brown, who we mentioned is injured. But I think what's interesting also is you talk about in defense – Brian Reynolds, you know, that that's really interesting to me because that's someone who we haven't seen as a really a right back for the national team. So I think that's something I really want to see him make the final roster. Yeah, I think that would be interesting. Right now, he still really isn't situated at Roma. So maybe if I think it was his visa, he had to come back to the U.S., something like that. So I think if that's still not situated and Roma doesn't think he has match fitness, 
to play for them, why not send him to go play in Olympic qualifying, get some match fitness, then come back? Because right now, clearly, they're secured at right back because they haven't had him. So I think that'd be a pretty interesting opportunity for him. Yeah, so I, I agree. I think that's something that, like that's the perfect kind of like get your stock up thing, get some reps at right back where if you're not training with Roma for whatever reason or it's just not going to happen this year, which is fine also, then yeah, why not? What do, what do you have to lose at that point? But I wanted to ask you one thing. So as part of the Olympics, I think there's this rule where you can add three players over 23, right? Is that how it works? Yeah. Okay, so I want you to pick your three. And you can't, you can't cheat and be like, okay, Pulisic, Adams, McKinney, because like that, they all three wouldn't come. So it has to be like three semi-realistic options. So I'm trying to remember when USA played in 2008. Obviously, it's a completely different time now. But if I do remember right, the three overage players were Brad Guzan, Brian McBride, and Michael Parkhurst. So... I do think it was those three, and I'm. I think I'd go in a similar vein. I think I'd go striker, center midfielder, goalkeeper. So if I'm choosing a goalie, maybe you look at a, a Ethan Horvath. Maybe try and get him. You know, first team minutes. Maybe you take a Brad Guzan, give him his kind of final last chance as a national team goalkeeper. And I think in a similar vein. I'd kind of do that in the midfield too. Maybe take Alejandro Bedoya. He's 33 years old, but he's been doing well for Philadelphia Union. He was just as important as Mark McKenzie or Brendan Aronson. So I think why not give Alejandro Bedoya one last chance in the national team Sure, And then at striker, who knows? Maybe you go with a Josie Altidore. You go with an Aaron Johansson. Someone who's overage, a Bobby Hood. Somebody that you know, can just give you goals and who, you know, isn't a young guy who's going to struggle, is going to go in and is guaranteed a goal. Because I remember in the 2012 Olympics, I think it was, or 2016, Orbe Peralta was an overage player and he was just banging in goals. And I was like, okay, like you're scoring against 20-year-olds, like good for you. But hey, maybe USA needs to try the same thing. Yeah, no, I think we should do it. I, I want to talk about two, I was thinking about who I'd want to add. And I was looking up some players who are overage, but I thought, is Haji Wright even on the list? Did he get snubbed? Uh, no, I don't think he's on the list. So that's a snub to me. I, that's one that we probably should talk about earlier. But also Christian Kappas, I'd throw him into that list as a guy who I probably wanted to see. But maybe the club has been released. And maybe that's another thing. We don't know who wasn't released. So that could be something we don't realize. But I think for me, I'm thinking about the overage guys. I'm in the similar vein. Maybe a goalkeeper. I like Ethan Horvath's shot. I think that's like the perfect guy you want where this could be a tournament for him to kind of Raises that raises stock a little bit and get him into, um, you know, a, a new situation this summer. I think that's a good one. I I think a midfielder, but like someone that's like sort of creative but sort of works hard. I think like maybe uh, a Dwayne Holmes would be a good addition. I think, I think Alejandro Rodriguez works hard and creates chances. No, I I think he does too. But I think Dwayne Holmes is closer to the actual national team picture. Than Alejandro Bedoya. So I, I think it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, if Alejandro Bedoya is like, I want to play, sure. But it feels kind of weird to bring that guy in. Like, hey, man, I know we haven't seen you in a while. You want to come play in the Olympics? So I feel like that's kind of weird. Um, and then I like the Josie idea. I, I was trying to think about like who I would bring in. I, I don't know if I want Josie to play those minutes, which is one thing I would think about. Um, may, maybe someone like a Chris Mueller. Where it's like, okay, you kind of know what you're going to get from this guy, and he's not like a beast per se, but I think that's the kind of guy where he could probably, you know, look really good at this level. So maybe that's someone I would bring in. Those are probably my three. So Chris Mueller, 
Dwayne Holmes and Ethan Horvath for me. But is there anything else in your mind? Can we wrap up yeah. here? Yeah, I think just the last thing we're talking about the roster, no Paxton Pomacall. Obviously, we talked to him, and he says he's ready to go for the season. So maybe that's just a case of trying to save his legs. Maybe FC Dallas themselves said, hey, we don't want this guy getting injured anymore. But he says he's ready for the season. I trust Paxton Pomacall. So this is definitely a calculated decision, I think. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I think it's one of those things where you look at the roster, and you're like, hey, why is he not on there? He told us point blank he's healthy. He should be on there if he's healthy. But I think it's one thing to be healthy, and it's another thing to be, like, match fit and able to play in a kind of roulette of games. You know, I think that's where the difference comes in, where it's like, okay, he's healthy as a player, but let's make sure you can handle some games first besides saying, like, hey, man, I know you're healthy. Now go get your first experience with the Olympic qualifying instead of, with MLS, working your way into it, building up match fitness, and then eventually getting there. So I think you are 100% correct in that respect. I do want to say one thing also. I guess we're running long here, but we got time. It's a little late in the podcast to talk about this, but I want to talk about Tim Weah, who's kind of become a beast all of a sudden for Leo, who's always been a beast, I think. But I think he's finally rounding into form. So I'm happy for Tim Weah, and I think he's just someone we kind of missed before whose stock is almost higher than ever right now. I think Tim Weah, he's a guy who... Never once for a second did either of us doubt him. Swaggy Tim, whatever you want to call him. Big dripper, big stepper. Like, he, he's the guy. He's always been the guy. So, I'm not surprised. And he belongs at this level. He belongs in a top five league. He's always had that star potential. So, it's exciting to see him doing well. And I think he even knows he's not even close to tapping his potential right now. Is he your starting uh, right winger? so i think i think he's a guy who you probably do need on the field yeah i agree i agree no disrespect to Gio arena who i think is also someone you definitely want on the field but hey tim way has the swag tim way has the drip the pace the one touch and then some and the waves to match it like bro this guy has it all so i mean i think that's the guy i want right now Gio, i'm calling you out let's hear it let's see it um but yeah i think that'll wrap up this edition of the one goal u.s soccer podcast of course